0: Well welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God and so glad that you're joining me and uh, ready to continue our journey through the book of Matthew. Today we're going to be looking at the second half of Matthew chapter 4 and I hope that you have been enjoying this journey. If you haven't had a chance to go back, look at any of the previous videos from this series. I have all my playlists on YouTube. You can go through and watch each of them one by one and I encourage you to do that. Follow all the links in the descriptions below to all of my social media uh, connections and also podcast links and share this as much as you can. We just looked in the first half of Matthew chapter four, where Jesus endured temptation, and uh, so now we followed the journey of Jesus, starting his ministry, being baptized by John the Baptist, then going up into the wilderness and defeating the devil with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the te- in the in the wilderness. And now he's about to start his ministry and we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter four, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, John chapter three, verse 22 and John chapter four, verses one to two tells us that the, the first ministry that Jesus did with his disciples was a baptizing ministry in the river Jordan. Now, sometime after that, and after the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus goes to Galilee to begin his itinerant ministry in that particular area. John's gospel, uh, if you read about this in John chapter 1, uh, verse 19, through to chapter 2, verse 12, tells us uh, about the early ministry in Galilee and Judea before Jesus went to Galilee, as was mentioned here. So John's ministry. Now, that early Judean ministry included the earliest call of the disciples. That was where the, the wedding in Cana, that, that first miracle happened. The first cleansing of the temple followed by the interview with Jesus with Nicodemus in Judea. And then John tells us in, in John's gospel what happened when Jesus traveled north to Galilee through Samaria and met a Samaritan woman at the well. And it was the imprisonment of John that prompted all of this. G. Campbell Morgan. Into that region, our law went to continue the ministry of the man who had been silenced. Thus it had ever been and still is. Evil may silence a voice, but it cannot prevent the proclamation of the word. In other words, what John the Baptist was doing was stopped and then Jesus went to continue the ministry. That's what we have to understand. The importance of the beginning of Jesus' ministry was a continuation of what John the Baptist had already been preaching and doing. So Jesus departs and he goes to the region of Galilee. Now, this is now not in the wilderness. Now, Galilee is just a magnificent, fertile region. This is one of the beautiful things about Israel. You can travel from the north to south. It only takes you a few hours and you can go through desert, wilderness, uh, the Dead Sea, the the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, uh, up in the north and the, the, the area of Dan. And it's, it's just amazing the, the topography and geography of the land of Israel. Galilee, highly populated. Lots of people live there. And uh, if we think about people like uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he said there were about 3 million people who were living around the area of the Galilee. That's a lot of people. Uh, in an area of 50, 60 by 30 miles, Josephus says that there were some 204 villages with none having less than 15,000 people which gives a population of more than 3 million people for the region. Now, Galilee was predominantly Gentile in its population, but it did have a large number of Jewish cities, and it had a lot of Jewish citizens. But Galilee was known as this fertile area, and there were a lot of successful farms there. Why? I guess they took advantage of the good soil that was there. And this is where Jesus departed to. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt, dwelt, very important, he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why did Jesus have to go and live in Capernaum, which is not that far from Nazareth? Okay, because he was rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. In Luke chapter four, verse 16 to 30, it was significant that Jesus made his home in Capernaum and not in Nazareth. Uh, Matthew was probably interested in Capernaum because it was where he himself lived. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 9. Peter also had a house in Capernaum. Peter's mother had a house in Capernaum. Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2. Come with me to Israel. You can actually see what we believe to be the foundations of Peter's parents' uh, mother's house. But leaving Nazareth, Jesus didn't go. South to Jerusalem, which is where people thought he would have gone. You and I wouldn't have thought he would have gone. He didn't even go to Judea. He, because I mean, Jerusalem would have been a smarter move. I mean, if you were trying to think of the best place to go for you know for for a career as the Messiah, but Jesus chose to go to this fishing village called Capernaum, and. F.F. Bruce says this migration to Capernaum is not formally noted in the other Gospels, but Capernaum appears in all the Synoptists as the main centre. The synoptics, who's that? It's Matthew, Mark and Luke. Not John, Matthew, Mark and Luke. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, it appears in all of those Gospels as the main centre of Christ's Galilean ministry. Okay, verse 14. Why did Jesus go live in Capernaum Leave Nazareth. Verse 14, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. As is custom, Matthew sees Jesus ministry in Galilee as a fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew was continually linking what Jesus did to the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament because Matthew is writing to Jewish people saying he is the Messiah. This is what he is what he fulfilled from the Old Testament. Light has now come to this region. It's now largely populated by Gentiles. And Isaiah 9 predicts this ministry of the Messiah in this environment. R.T. France, Galilee of the Gentiles was now an even more appropriate description than in Isaiah's day when he wrote it, as successive movements of population had given it a predominantly Gentile Population. In other words, when Isaiah wrote the prophecy Galilee of the Gentiles, it wasn't Galilee of the Gentiles. It was Galilee of the Jews. And so now this was prophecy coming true. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, repent, the first word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could say that this was the main occupation of Jesus. Verse 17, uh, Jesus began to preach. This is his occupation. He healed, he ministered miraculously, but on the whole, uh, Jesus was a preacher and he was a teacher who healed more than he was a healer who preached and taught. And this is the priority of Jesus' ministry that was stated here in Matthew chapter 4. Now, the word Greek word for preach is the Greek word Kerasane, which is the word for a herald's proclamation from a king. Kerax is the Greek word for herald. And the herald was the man who brought a message directly from the king. Jesus' message was repent. The gospel that Jesus preached began in the same place that the gospel John preached began, which was a call to repentance. In fact, since Jesus had waited until John had been put in prison to start his ministry, he probably saw himself as picking up where John left off. Uh, But Jesus was going to go further than John ever did because John announced the coming of the Messiah. Jesus actually was and is the Messiah. And he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, remember, John had said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I imagine it's even closer. Maybe the hand moved a little bit here. Uh, Some people... Um, some people make, uh, try to make a distinction between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God but there, there isn't really a difference. Uh, especially in the light of the Jewish custom of not even naming God directly, even if you now talk to somebody or you, if you are conversing uh, in written form with with uh, somebody of Jewish descent, they probably won't write the word God. God, they'll write G underscore D. Uh, it's just seen as a term of reverence. They would they would rather refer to where G- God resides than God himself. Uh, and that's a custom that Matthew, who was a Jew and writing his book to Jewish people, he employs that because he knows that's who his audience is. OK, now let's move on to verse 18. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea for they were fishermen. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus met these men. Uh, Other Gospels describe previous encounters, John chapter 1, Luke chapter 5. But this is when Jesus calls them to leave their professions and follow him with a full-time commitment to being his disciple. RT France, its fishing industry was prosperous, its fishermen not necessarily poor. Zebedee's family employed workers in Mark chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, these people were not poor fishermen. They were, they were, they were pretty good at what they did and they had a thriving business. God usually calls people who are busy already doing something. Uh, Jesus called the apostles as they were casting their net into the sea and they were mending their nets. They were busy in their occupation, Spurgeon said, when he called them to be ministers. Our Lord does not call idle people. He calls fishers. I know for myself, I I was in the middle of a corporate career and God called me out of it into ministry. Love Jesus, always love Jesus thought that my ministry life was going to be in the corporate world and in the middle of of what some would call success. God called me out of that. So I know that this has been my journey as well. Saul, think about all the people who were in the middle of doing something that others would, would, would seem to be working and working well, and then God called them out of it. Saul, looking for his father's donkeys. David, keeping his father's sheep. The shepherds, guarding their flocks. Amos, farming in Tekoa. Matthew, working as a tax collector at the table, Moses tending his father-in-law's flock, Gideon threshing wheat, all these people called by God in the middle of working. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And then Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It was very customary in that time for a rabbi to have disciples. That wasn't unusual. Uh, it was a way for them to learn from their teacher. And in some aspects, Jesus offered them a very traditional rabbinic education at the feet of a rabbi. In other aspects, uh, this was very different from a normal rabbinical education, uh, because Jesus was going to take them on a journey that no other rabbi had ever taken a disciple. And the disciple was the uh, person who was going to say to that rabbi, I am not just a follower of yours, I am a disciplined follower. In other words, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. I'm not going to follow you conditionally. I'm going to follow you. And when you ask me to do something, I'm going to be disciplined in doing it. That's why I will be called a disciple. That's the difference between a disciple and a follower. Verse 20. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The immediate response of these disciples is a great example to us because the first disciples did what every disciple of Jesus should do, follow him immediately. David Guzik, following Jesus means leaving some things behind. The Samaritan woman left her picture. Matthew left his tax table. Blind Bartimaeus left his cloak to follow Jesus. There is always something to leave when you are called to follow Jesus. And God knows that. It's not like he's blind to it. Some people are always pointing out, but God, if I do that, that means I'd have to leave this as if God's going to turn around and say, you know what, me and the angels, totally spaced on that one. I don't know what we were thinking. So glad you pointed it out because, oh my goodness, could you imagine if we had forgotten that? No, God's God. He knows what it is that he's asking you to leave behind in order for you to be his disciple. He knows that. Okay, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. This is the start of Matthew's teaching Uh, of Jesus about the topic of healing. It starts here in Matthew 4 and it goes all the way through to Matthew chapter 9, halfway through chapter 9. And the first thing that Jesus did that Matthew chronicles is he taught people about healing. He taught people about healing, then he showed them examples. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he said, now you go and do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow that journey along. And the first part is Jesus doing teaching about healing okay, and showing of healing. The customs in the synagogue of that day would have given Jesus a lot of opportunities to actually teach because they would often give a visitor, especially somebody who is distinguished, a chance to speak. William Barclay, after the address in a synagogue, there came time for a talk and questions and discussion. The synagogue was the ideal place in which to get a new teaching across to the people. The difference between teaching and preaching, let's talk about that. It's really one that is a matter of emphasis and manner, not necessarily content. Uh, William Barclay, Preaching is the uncompromising proclamation of certainties. Teaching is the explanation of the meaning and significance of them. Okay, Jesus heals all kinds of sickness and diseases. Jesus' ability to heal people with different kinds of diseases demonstrates that he actually does have genuine, authentic power over damage done by the fall of man. His authority over demons and those who are demon-possessed shows that he has authentic power over all creation, not just some. And this is the first mention of of somebody who is demon-possessed in the New Testament. And it's interesting because that concept of demon possession is rarely talked about and recorded in the Old Testament. Uh, Saul was one example who was troubled by a spirit in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But there is obviously much more record of demon possession in the New Testament than, uh, than either in the Old Testament or even necessarily in our contemporary world that we live in now. Now, there have been a lot of suggestions for why this is the case. Why was there a lot more demon possession in the times of the New Testament than there was in the Old Testament or even now. Not that we don't have it now, not that they didn't have it in the Old Testament, but there was a lot during the time of Jesus. And uh, here's, here's some thoughts and suggestions by David Guzik. Some believe that God gave the devil greater allowance to afflict man in this way, through demon possession, to give greater evidence of Jesus' credentials as Messiah. Some people believe that God allowed the devil a greater allowance to afflict man in this way through demon possession to rebuke the Sadducees, who did not believe in supernatural beings such as angels and demons. Some believe that there was no greater allowance in those days at all uh, for demon possession and that there is the same amount of demon possession as there is today, although it's just not recognised as such. Some people believe that there is simply far less demon possession in cultures that have been under the influence of the gospel for hundreds of years and far more in pagan and animistic cultures. Some believe that Satan himself is not interested in a strategy of widespread demon possession of humans in the contemporary Western world because he finds anonymity and spiritual scepticism much more effective tools. There you go, just some observations there. Verse 25. Great multitudes followed Jesus from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Jesus had a purpose for allowing such dramatic miracles to attract great multitudes. He wanted to teach the multitudes. He didn't want to just impress them with miracles. He wanted to teach them. Adam Clark, Christ's fame spread very far, doubtless, because of the good that he did and the miracles that he wrought. D.A. Carson. People from all these areas followed Jesus. Follow does not necessarily indicate a solid form of discipleship. It may, as here, refer to those who at some particular time followed Jesus around in his itinerant ministry and thus were loosely considered disciples. Which leads us to our observation for today. Jesus has asked you and I to follow him, the same as he did. Same as he did to Peter, to Andrew, to James, to John. He's asking you and I, follow me. So if we have accepted the free gift of salvation, then we must follow him wherever that is. There's no such thing as a conditional follower of Jesus Christ. We're not called to follow him until the path gets a little tough. We're not, we're not called to follow him until we're like, oh, I'm out. I hear so many people say to me, the words, Christians, been Christians for years. And they'll say, yeah, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I know God wants me to do it. I just can't do it. Well, that's that's pride, because that means you think you know better than God. And it's a lack of spiritual dependency upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you can't do it by yourself. But Philippians 4 says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. See, don't. Don't be part of the multitudes that just followed him in his itinerant ministry and, and, and they enjoyed watching him do a few miracles. But then when the when the going got tough, they kind of they were out. Okay? Don't be somebody who followed him. Be somebody who follows him. What is Jesus asking you to follow him in today? What is it that you know that you used to be a follower of him, but you stopped and you paused? And today you're having a little bit of conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, "Oh, I know that I, I know what He wants me to do. I just didn't really want to do it." Well, how about you just do it? How about you trust Him? If you can trust Jesus with your eternity, if you can trust Him with your salvation, then you can trust Him wherever He's going to lead you. He's not going to lead you astray because He's going before you, He's going beside you, He's going behind you, and He's empowering you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that you can't do when you've just got Jesus all around you. When you've got a Jesus circle around your life, man, you're ready to go. When you've got the power of the Holy Spirit in you, man, you're ready to go. So don't be somebody who followed him. Be somebody who follows him. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage of our convictions, Lord, be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus Christ every day of our lives. In your name we pray. thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.